All right, we're live, barely, barely alive. Uh, we've had some some technical difficulties, uh, but we finally we have Sam on and we have Howard. Uh, hold on, I'm getting a little feedback here. Uh oh. Um, no, we're good. We're good. So we're gonna see how long this, we're gonna see how long this lasts, uh, and we will. We, we're here to talk about random X. Uh, I'm going to keep my video off just so we could, uh, you know, use as much internet as we possibly can for uh, communicating here. Um, Howard, I believe everybody is familiar with you uh, and the roles that you play in Monero. But if I guess if you can kind of, kind of give a quick little little intro on uh, particularly what your role has been with RandomX. Okay. Um... So, you know, I have not been the primary developer of RandomX. You know, that's been uh, Tevador. Uh, I guess my role was to be the first one to write up a proof of concept for a randomized, you know, dynamic proof of work. And, you know, that's that's what evolved into RandomJS last year. It's actually um, a little over a year ago. I started working on that random code uh, at the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. But and so uh, <clears throat> that idea evolved into random JS and uh, Tevador uh, maintained a repo for that. And we worked on that for several months and found some issues with the design that we simply could not uh, fix. And, um, you know, then we dropped random JS and Tevador came up with random X. So hey. from from then till now, you know, my role has been more of uh, uh, like oversight, technical uh, kibitzer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also, you know, did, did all the integration of the random X code into Monero D. So, okay, yeah, we had you on. Uh, I guess it's a few months ago now to talk about where we were at random X at that time and. During that time, it was kind of when the community was making a decision on, you know, what path we would be taking uh, All right. in terms of whether or not we're going to be, you know, when we would be implementing implementing RandomX and, you know, what would happen, uh, you know, if ASICs uh, didn't kind of take over this current proof of work that's out there, what the, you know, going over the different scenarios and, uh trying to figure out under what scenario RandomX would or would not be implemented. So right. maybe we could touch upon that real quickly. Um, are we still kind of, is or your understanding of that, are we still kind of on the same track in terms of uh, when we would be, look, be looking to implement RandomX and under what scenarios we would or wouldn't? Okay, well, things are certainly a lot clearer now than they were a few months ago. Um, basically, we are on track. Um, we have four independent auditing teams lined up now to you know, do a full top-down design review and implementation review of RandomX. Um, if these reviews are all positive or you know, whatever issues they turn up, if there's things that we can fix easily so that we're still in good shape at the end, then... <clears throat> we'll probably be ready to deploy it this October. Okay, so that's that's even if we're not seeing ASICs uh, kind of taking charge of, of the current, uh, you know, proof of work that's out there? Yeah, that's that's right. 
Um, yeah. And then, so what, what was the thinking then with that? It was just kind of like, well, we have it now. We might as well implement it um, because it's kind of inevitable for ASICs to take over that existing proof of work, just a matter of time. So we might as well uh, upgrade at this point. Pretty much, yeah. You know, we know that, you know, the last kryptonite tweak um, is not going to hold up for long. Okay. And are we, are we kind of seeing pushback there from the community in terms of whether or not that makes sense? Is there, is there like majority consensus there? Is it uh, uh, yeah, somewhat controversial or? I've, I've seen one or two, you know, detracting remarks, but overall the community has been very enthusiastic. You know, when we put up the, um, the call for funding to, to get the audits funded, I mean, the audits were all funded within like 30 hours. You know, that was pretty damn fast. So I would say the, uh, the community is fairly enthusiastic to move forward with this from what I can see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Sam, I guess a good time to kind of intro you. Uh, you're with what's the company art weave, arc weave. <laughs> are weave, are weave. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. and if you could give a quick intro of yourself and kind of explain how you got involved in the whole random X thing in, in Monero land. Yeah. So this was kind of an interesting story. Uh, it certainly wasn't planned. So I'm Sam. I'm one of the founders of Arweave. It's a kind of, um, permanent decentralized web essentially on a different kind of blockchain that scales so that you can fit large amounts of data inside. Um, and so the proof of work we use in our system is, is twofold. There's this proof of access layer, which requires you to prove that you have access to some previous random piece of data from the network, um, or randomly chosen piece of data. And there's also a, a normal sort of proof of work underneath that. And currently, at the moment, we're using SHA-2384. Uh, and we'd like to keep things you know, one CPU, one vote, if possible. Um, we're very aware that, you know, <laughs> with oh, wait, just, a, with just, simple... just to back it up, what is it exactly that you guys that you guys do? Yeah, uh, so it's a permanent information storage system at space. It is a kind of blockchain that you can fit large amounts of data in. So the data stored inside the system maintains all of the properties you normally get with a blockchain. So it's permanently available, distributed across many machines. Um, the uh, yeah, the signatures on everything are verifiable, and you get timestamps. This is pretty much the core of it. Uh, the second layer on top of that is this thing we call the permaweb. So it's basically like the normal web, except everything inside it is permanent and timestamped, like it would be on a blockchain, because in fact, it is on a blockchain. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so our system, the, the storage of that data comes as a sort of useful byproduct of the consensus mechanism itself. And um, the consensus mechanism is in two parts. There's this like proof of access part. So you have to prove that you have access to the old data. And there's this uh, normal proof of work part. Yeah, so we were sort of aware that like we were very quickly going to reach the limits of this um, of this normal proof of work, and people would start designing you know ASICs to cover it. It's SHA two three eight four, so it's not very common, uh, but it's also definitely far from uncommon. And so actually, it was around this time last year that we started talking about the idea of uh, programmatic proof of work as a solution, um, you know, or at least as a method to get one CPU one vote over a long period of time. And so we built our own sort of implementation around uh, December time, I think. But then, you know, we saw the work with RandomX and, and we quickly came to the conclusion that this was probably the implementation to go with. Um, yeah, so then we were looking around for an auditor to try and get the thing audited. Um, 
because you know at the time there was there was no uh, at least public information on the audits. Uh, and sure enough, when we spoke to Trail of Bits, they were saying, "Oh, yeah, well, we actually just spoke to Monero about this." So <laughs> they got us in touch, and yeah, things kind of went from there. Very cool. So, I mean, you guys were looking to utilize RandomX uh, and and audit it on your own, even if Monero wasn't uh, implementing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it. Yeah, so we had our own kind of implementation, but I, I think it was um, it was fairly bare bones in comparison to what RandomX does. And so, what what is your kind of take on RandomX? I mean, what's your do you, do you have a, an opinion there on on how successful you think it may or may not be uh, in thwarting <laughs> in thwarting ASICs? <laughs> well, I think it definitely has the best logic for you know how um, an algorithm can be ASIC resistant out of all of the supposedly ASIC resistant algorithms we've seen so far. But you know, people are exceedingly resourceful. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if in like five years we end up with random X processes, you know, that are actually able to execute proper uh, programs, but just happen to also be built to, to cover random X. We'll see that. Howard, what would your response be to that? Is that, is, is, is that, would that just be a computer at that point? <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, you know, I, yeah. that's actually one of my side projects is to implement Conway's game of life on random. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> So yeah, certainly that you know that could that could happen, and it would just be another processor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when we were going through the sort of design process for our own one, what we were thinking was, in the absolutely ideal case, you probably just want some sort of um, program generator for literal x86 Intel CPUs. If you could, you know, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons that doesn't really work, but that would be, I guess, the complete ideal. Sure. Except, you know, I mean, you know, and we thought about that and we said, but we don't want to be architecture specific. You know, we don't want to leave yeah, all, yeah. The, all the ARM CPUs out in the cold. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and also, I mean, at that point, you end up becoming company specific as well, because each of the CPU manufacturers ends up being slightly better at one thing than the other and so on. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. So just to just to kind of have an overall understanding in terms of uh, the auditing process and where we're at. So there's three different companies that are going to be auditing uh, RandomX. I know tra so Trail of Bits, right, which I guess um, you guys are essentially paying the bill for, which we greatly appreciate. Um, and then I believe there's two other companies as well that are going to be doing the audit? There's, there's actually four in total. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Trail of Bits is about to finish up. They're scheduled to deliver their final report to us tomorrow. Yeah, it should be exciting. The, no. the first part came back pretty positive, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, how, how, how did it break out funding-wise? So the community raised funds for three of them or something, and then... That's, that's right. Okay. Yeah, so we're covering Trail of Bits, and the Monero community are very kindly covering the other three. And that, and then just so we had kind of have an under understand what what exactly happens during one of these audits is is there a way to kind of explain that? I mean, what what is the process of auditing something like this? <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of uh, we tell them here's the GitHub repo, here's all the code, <laughs> and, and they go through it with a fine tooth comb. Okay, and. 
so I mean, obviously, I guess once we, so you're saying a re, there'll be a report already potentially by tomorrow, you said? Right. I think they'll, they'll probably need some time to, I mean, at least on the, the halfway through report, they, um, they took some time to make some edits. So I don't know if it'll be public tomorrow, but like, yeah, certainly very soon after. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so would they, would they be kind of chiming in on, on how effective uh, they think the proof of work will be in terms of thwarting ASICs or that's, that's not something we learn until it's out in the wild. And really they're just more looking at uh, kind of, um, you know, the, the math behind it and whether or not there's any like, uh, you know, gaping flaws or something. Yeah, for this review, I think they're just looking at uh, the cryptographic primitives we used mm-hmm. and just looking for, you know, simple bugs. Okay. In the code. Yeah. They, they took a, a pretty in-depth look at the cryptography, but they were more looking at things like, you know, does it lose um, randomness during the execution process? Like, does it lose entropy, this kind of stuff? I don't think they're going to take a position on whether it'll be ASIC resistant. I think we'll have to find that out in the wild. Mm-hmm. So, in in the scope of of all crypto, uh, is this is this fairly unique um, in terms of proof of work and what's happening? I mean, is this is this kind of a a new, uh, kind of a a little bit of a paradigm shift in terms of how proof of work is done? It's definitely a paradigm shift. I mean. There are other projects doing similar kind of implementations, but as far as I'm aware, maybe maybe you know more, Howard, but there's nothing like this actually in production right now. Yeah, that's certainly true. You know, the, the closest thing that gets mentioned a lot, um, like in the same breath, would be, you know, ProgPow that uh, yeah. the other group has developed. And, you know, that that's really... It's actually a much simpler algorithm, and so it, it doesn't really compare as far as capability. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Just before we started our own implementation, which we eventually, um, yeah, we just decided RandomX was better, so we'd use that. But what? before we <laughs> before we started, we looked at um, ProgPow, and yeah, like it it just wasn't as in depth as we'd kind of hoped. So then we thought, well, we'll we'll just try you know building our own VM and see how it works. Um, yeah, so I'd say that that's kind of, well, I think they've made it so that it's supposed to work okay on GPUs. And as a consequence, you know, it really isn't very CPU-like. So is that kind of the major d- difference then between the two? RandomX and ProgPal, one is a little more uh, friendly t- towards GPUs? <laughs> is that like... Yeah, I suppose from, from a user-level view, that's going to be the most obvious difference, yeah. What would you say the other differences are? Uh, the to the degree of uh, machine modeling that's gone into the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. the ProgPal instruction set is much much simpler than RandomX, like by you know orders of magnitude, I think even. Yeah, and so I mean, I, do you, so was there intent there to for them to design it the way they did for the purpose of not kind of killing off the GPUs? Was that kind of the, was that the idea there? Well, their idea was, was to be GPU centric. You know, they're, they're coming yeah. from the Ethereum community that's already strongly GPU oriented. So, you know, that was their focus. Mm-hmm. And I think they did that pretty well. Like, I think that'll work out all right if they end up using it in practice. 
And so, Sam, what's your, I mean, I, I think I, I'm, I'm, we're pretty clear on Howard's opinion on, uh, you know, the direction we want to be moving in, in terms of, you know, one CPU, one vote kind of being the <laughs> ideal. Uh, Howard, not to put words in your mouth by any means, please chime in <laughs> otherwise. But um, what do you, you know, what what's your kind of opinion there on a, on a philosophical level in terms of creating distributed networks? Is that is that kind of the holy grail to have it where, you know, anyone can use their computer to, um, you know, support the network? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, as far as I'm concerned, one CPU, one vote is pretty much the way it should be from a philosophical level. But also we have a sort of more practical incentive, which is in our network, um, users decide together what content should and shouldn't be inside the system. Uh, and as a consequence, it's very important that we keep the, the uh, I guess you would say, geographic concentration of the hardware that is good at mining uh, globally distributed, because then you get a sort of global voice on the kind of content that should be in the system. Um, whereas if you have something that's you know very ASIC vulnerable, these, these hardware repositories typically end up in like a few very small places, you know, where the, um, where the electricity is particularly cheap, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, you, you can already see that that's how it all happened with the Bitcoin network. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the idea being it becomes a more egalitarian uh, mining system. Exactly. Right. So more, more people get to express their point of view on what should and shouldn't be inside the system is where we're going with it. So just back to the CPU versus GPU for a second. So do do are we effectively kind of killing off GPUs here with with RandomX? What is what is the actual um, estimated effect? Well, uh, yeah, that's still a good question. Um, if you look at the benchmark results we have now for the NVIDIA miners, um, first of all. Uh, it's always a, a faster hash rate than kryptonite. So just the RandomX algorithm itself is a little bit faster, but uh, the speed up is much faster for CPUs than it is for GPUs. You know, and, and I think, uh, say, a three to one advantage to CPUs is going to be typical. Now, with that said, um, you know, GPUs are still easier to scale, right? You can you can buy a motherboard with 10 PCI slots in it and put 10 GPUs in it if you really want to. So uh, from, a, from an extensibility perspective, GPUs will still have their place. Okay, so they won't totally be booted off the network. It's just they'll be less competitive than they were. Yeah. What's this um, fast mode versus uh, light mode? Uh, just trying to understand the purpose of that and uh, what that looks like. Well, the okay, the normal mining mode uh, is the fast mode, and it requires over two gigabytes of RAM. Okay, so uh, you know that's going to be the mode you use that's most efficient for crunching hashes. Uh, the light mode is for you know smaller machines that are memory constrained that uh, that you just need to run a full node. You know, so the the light mode only requires 256 megs of RAM, so that will run comfortably on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. 
And this this was necessary just so we can kind of keep those those nodes alive. Uh, yeah, it was it was necessary to keep verification speed uh, at about the same as Kryptonite verification. Okay. Um, do we see that with any other proof of works? Kind of this this uh, you know fast mode, slow mode thing, or light mode? Is that a uh, it may not formally be there, but you know, if you look at a lot of algorithms, there's always this uh, time memory trade-off. You know, you'll see that abbreviated in documentation as TMTO, uh, and so you'll see that in descriptions of a lot of these algorithms. You know, if you, if you look at Cuckoo Cycle or anything else, uh, that's always being discussed somewhere. Uh, it may not be leveraged as explicitly as we're doing here, but you know, it, it is always a case that. You know, when you try to use less memory, the algorithm gets much slower to compute. And we, you know, we just tried to find a balance point where uh, we're using a small enough amount of memory for practical nodes that is still fast enough for practical verification speed. Mm -hmm. And then, how does this? Uh, I saw talk of botnets, and you know. One of the uh, criticism being that I guess this could lead to potentially more botnets. Others saying it would lead to less, uh, I guess, because of the higher memory requirements. Um, what, what, how do you see that playing out in terms of uh, botnets and how RandomX uh, will affect that? Yeah, I, uh, I guess. Part of the question depends on, you know, what you consider the average PC these days, you know. Uh, mm. I mean, my old laptop that I just retired had eight gigs of RAM. You know, if, if it had a rogue program on it running and using two gigs of RAM, I, I would know that immediately because that machine would be unusable. Yeah, uh, we actually, we sort of like the idea that you might be able to do, for example, in-memory uh, mining at a reasonable rate. Because so in our system, people store web applications. And so uh, one of the things that we have to work around is like, how do you compensate the gateways that people talk to when they're not using a sort of are we aware browser? Um, yeah, in order to get on the network. And so we think that you know people doing very small amounts of mining in their browser is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I think it's actually probably preferable to some forms of advertisement, but we'll see how it plays out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I certainly think it's a it's an interesting idea. I mean, we saw CoinHive uh, taking advantage of that for a while. Are they still? Yeah. Are they, is that still a thing? Or has I that don't think so. Okay. No, CoinHive shut down in March. Uh, I think yeah. either just before or just after the Kryptonite R hard fork. Mm -hmm. and so then, now potentially things like that may come back. It may once again, may make economic sense for them to exist or? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem now is that the browsers themselves are sort of cracking down on this kind of thing, which will definitely make it, um, I, think it's, I think it's a bit of a shame, honestly. I think it's cutting off a route to monetization of web applications and web services that, yeah, it's a bit premature at this point. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a really interesting uh, potential business model there that people could take advantage of. Howard, what do you think? What was your kind of uh, opinion on the CoinHive thing? 
no, I agree with you. You know, it, it had, uh, it had strong potential, uh, you know, when, when websites do it out in the open and, and they tell you upfront, Hey, we're going to start mm-hmm. mining on your machine. I think that's great. Right. Uh, yeah. When they are, you know, surreptitiously doing it through malware, obviously that's, that's no good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean I think some people will go so far as to say botnets themselves aren't really a problem though. Do, do you think that's that's just uh there's there's no argument to be made there or is there potentially some <laughs> reasoning as why we may be okay with botnets uh supporting <laughs> the network? Well, you know, botnets are going to exist one way or the other, right? And they could be you know, they could be sitting there scanning your hard drives and stealing all your personal data or they could be sitting there crunching a mining algorithm you know in in the grand scheme of things you know this is probably one of the least harmful things they could be doing yeah that's definitely true i i think you know botnets obviously not a great thing but also like it's it's basically the minimal amount of harm they can do to your machine it's also very obvious as well it's hardly like you can be very surreptitious with this kind of mining right so I guess that's something we won't we won't know until RandomX goes live as to what kind of effect that's going to have on the uh, the ecosystem in terms of botnets. Right? Uh, so yeah, it's not clear. Okay. Until, yeah. I would be surprised if it had very much of a an effect at all. What do you think, Howard? Uh, I would say yeah. Okay, I expect to see older machines, you know, just dropping out of these botnets because they just mm-hmm. can't keep up. That's interesting. Yeah. That's about it though. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the other uh, comments I saw people and people talking about uh, RandomX was the potential for uh, something like a supercomputer to now be competitive since now I guess it's all CPU based. Uh, is that something <laughs> that would be a concern, or what's the uh, uh, what's the counter? Close. So, no, what what uh, what is the argument against uh, a supercomputer uh, taking over the, the network? There's a couple of things, but it, the the most easy one to explain is just cost. All right, um, if you look at the equipment that goes into a supercomputer and you look at the prices of those components, you know, for example, if you go on a new egg right now and you try and uh, look up a 16 gigabyte DDR dim stick, right? It'll cost you around 50 to $80. If you try and find a 32 gigabyte dim, it'll cost you around $500. Okay. Mm-hmm. The more you go up in scale and performance in computing hardware, you know, the price goes up exponentially. And so when you look at a billion dollars worth of supercomputer, you're only looking at about, you know, $100 million worth of PCs for the equivalent horsepower. Mm-hmm. All right. So but it probably will lead to the generation of more sort of... Um home supercomputer-like clusters. Like I'm thinking of those Beowulf setups that people used to make. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throwback. <laughs> but like, you know, it's it, people will basically just be building big compute clusters. So it's certainly more supercomputer-like than the current mining setups, which are yeah. you know, very specific. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. And, you know, one day they could maybe reuse those setups for computation outside of mining 
which might be kind of interesting. Yeah. They, they could go back to Boeing or SETI at home. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I guess we should talk a little bit too. Uh, I know we initially uh, talked about it, Sean. Um, so you said you had kind of discovered RandomX um, on your own as being a potential solution uh, for what you guys were looking to do. But um, also, I guess, OSTIF, who I'm not familiar with them too much, they were also involved as well. They were kind of the connector between the Monero community and you guys. How, what, what role did they play? Because I find that to be interesting. Was that to Sam or? Derek? Yeah, yeah, to either you or Sam. I was, um, the oh, role uh, that uh, OSTIF played in uh, kind of bringing everything together here. I assume they spoke to you guys first, Howard. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, OSTIF, uh, Open Source Technology Improvement Fund, uh, they actually coordinated the, the review teams for the Bulletproofs work. And so, you know, the guys in the Monero Research Lab were already familiar with them. And, you know, they worked well together. And uh, they put us in touch with... <clears throat> Uh, a couple of the audit teams that, you know, we eventually wound up hiring all of them. But uh, so, so they had the connections to the audit teams. Uh, you know, they put us in touch with Trail of Bits. And, you know, it was during the time that we were uh, negotiating with Trail of Bits that uh, uh, <clears throat> those guys said, oh, you know, we have another customer who's just hired us to do this review. And that's how we got connected to our weave. Yeah. Very cool. So are, do they play a large role in the open source community? I guess that's, um, you know, their role is, you know, facilitating new research. Yeah. Right. Have, have they been around for a long time? I, I don't know much about that. Like you said, they, uh, I guess, participated in the Bulletproof thing as well. Are they relatively new or is this some, you know, a, uh, you know, an association that's been around for a long time? Uh, I would say they've been around for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to have them on. I tried uh, reaching out to Derek, but uh, I think it's interesting that they're kind of um, being a connector and helping push this stuff along. I mean, random X it's, it's moved at a pretty surprisingly fast pace, right? Uh, I'm happy with the pace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment. I just I'm, I'm very impressed at how how far you guys have come, how quickly you've come, considering it's kind of you know breakthrough technology here, um, and you're already looking to implement it into Monero. Sim, yeah, well, it, go it's, ahead. it's already you know it already works in Monero. You know we have we have the the pull request on GitHub, and several people have tested it successfully. Uh, the the Wow Narrow guys are actually going to roll it out in their own network like next week. So. Oh wow, huh. that's interesting. We've been running a test net for a few weeks now, just going very well, I think. Uh, okay. But I didn't realize the uh, uh, Wow Narrow are they running like a main network or? Uh, I think it's going on their main network next week. Yeah, they've been doing test net for you know this past week or two. Yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. Is there I, anything I, you think we could expect to learn from that, from uh, their implementation of it? 
Well, I'm certainly going to watch closely. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all will be. <laughs> I guess given the size of their network, though, it's not too much of a, of a test, though, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what their transaction volume is like or anything, but yes, I'm sure it's... Uh, it, it, it would be like the Monero test net, right? I don't know. Right. So, Sean, go ahead, Sean. Sean? Sam. Sam, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Sam. <laughs> I was getting... <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the real test is going to come when people start experimenting with ASICs and maybe you know further work on GPUs with it. Like That's the main concern I have. I'm pretty sure after the audits are done that you know the code base will be fine. They don't have so much worry about transaction volume, that kind of thing. But but I am very interested to see what happens when the, the guys that's yeah only job is to make hardware for this stuff solely focused on it. Yeah, really put their mind to it. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. Oh definitely. Yeah. Um yeah I was gonna say so do you have an opinion on Monero in general? Um, this being for Sam, not the imaginary Sean. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than uh, you know, looking to utilize the RandomX tech, is are you actively involved in Monero? Is it something you're you're interested well, in? Yeah, as, I mean, I wouldn't say I was actively involved, but I've been around the crypto space for quite a while, I guess, and I've always really liked Monero. It's my favorite. Um, Privacy-preserving token, I guess. I think that the way that you guys approach it is, um, yeah, really solid. And the the cryptography is simpler, and that that's typically better with cryptography. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is like like there's just less chance to to uh, break it accidentally. So yeah, I mean, I I bought sorry, I built some, I build, <laughs> I bought some more Monero during the uh, the winter time. So I was rather happy with that. And I'm, I'm quite looking forward to using it at some point in maybe a shop somewhere. <laughs> Are you going to be coming to Denver to the uh, MoneroCon? <laughs> Potentially. Okay. My, my schedule is like pretty, pretty full, but yeah. Could be a good opportunity to, uh, to uh, use some Monero, potentially. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> Howard, you're going to be there, right? I think you're, are you giving a, a talk? Yeah, I'm giving a talk. Uh, the title is uh, "Asic Resistance Factor Fantasy." <laughs> <laughs> I think we know how that one ends. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I don't think we actually know the complete ending yet. Uh, we'll, we know in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for Denver. Um, we're going to be throwing a, a party there as well. I don't know if you if you guys are aware. If you're going to be in town the Friday before MoneroCon. That you know, the night before it starts, we uh, we rented a house, Casa de Monero, we're calling it. <laughs> oh God, I'm I am literally like you know getting off of an 18 hour flight at like 9 p.m. Friday, so I don't know if I'll be in a partying mood. Yeah, swing by, swing by for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Um. So, Seb. Uh, is there anything else we could, uh, you know, learn about Arweave that you know relates to Monero, or I, I, I really don't know much about it at all. Anything that you want to 
Well, I mean, it's it's a decentralized permanent web. I mean, you could definitely build applications on top of it that use Monero for payments. And from a personal note, I think that if you want a privacy-preserving mechanism for doing that, that's probably the best option you have. Um, yeah, we, we actually work more with a, a Monero fork called Loki uh, that have a kind of, I guess you'd call it, an incentivized civil civil resistant Tor network that they're building using service node architecture underneath. Yeah, kind of low, sorry, Monero fork. Um, yeah, and we've built this interesting thing that we call Silo, which is kind of like a privacy preserving layer on top of the Arweave's perma web. But this is this is not quite, yeah, this is not quite Monero related, I guess, but it's sort of tangential. But yeah, if you're interested in decentralized webs and these kinds of things, then uh, definitely check us out. Yeah, I met those guys recently, the Loki guys. Um, right. So how long how long have has your blockchain been around? Is this uh, a relatively new project? Um, what's the what's the history? <laughs> yeah, so we started about two years ago now, and we launched the main network a year ago. In fact, almost to the day, we've got a um, yeah anniversary coming up on Saturday, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been pretty exciting recently, actually. We've seen a massive uptick in people building applications on top of the system. It's really nice because, you know, the applications are really just web apps, but they're kind of decentralized by default. So you write them in JavaScript, CSS, HTML, which makes it super simple. Um, but of course, when it runs on top of the network, you get this decentralization effect that's uh, very effective and very powerful. So is like, who would your competitors be? Who else is kind of working on similar <laughs> tech? I mean, so everybody always says like decentralized storage, but we don't really see it that way. The really interesting thing about Arweave is the permanence factor. So everything you put inside the network is just there indefinitely. Um, and in that regard, I, I don't think we really have any competitors actually. <laughs> <laughs> web.archive.org <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess so that's true so in the centralized space <laughs> although we really don't see them as competitors either like the first thing that was built on top of the Arweave was this little website you could go to that had a library of torrents from the internet archive it was called like the CRIAG or something the censorship resistant internet archive gateway the idea being that like you could get to this archive from anywhere in the world um, and your access to it could never be revoked um, yeah, even in countries that didn't have access to archive through normal means. So, we, yeah, we, we're very much along the same. We're, I guess we're very aligned with the Internet Archive, and we kind of we'd rather work together than see each other as competitors. Yeah, that's great. That's to have complementary technology like that. Yeah. Yeah. Howard, what's your, what's your view on on uh, kind of blockchains being used in this way versus? Uh, the more traditional use of something like Monero, using it, uh, you know, for purposes of uh, value transfer, right? And so that's the perfect thing if you want to keep data around forever, right? And it's frustrating to use a web where websites disappear or die or something, right? So yeah, I, I see it solving a, an interesting problem I like that. But do you see these things ultimately being built on existing? Uh, you know, blockchains like Monero or Bitcoin or something, or uh, see it being its own, its own no, thing. Def definitely, it's its own thing because you know you don't you know we don't want to put multi megabyte websites <laughs> into the Monero blockchain. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so no, definitely, it's it, it's its own 
application fields, certainly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so uh, are, are there people looking to kind of just build similar applications on top of Bitcoin, though? I mean, not as far as I'm aware. So we had to, like, the consensus mechanism in our algorithm is, is uh, pretty different than, than you'd be able to do with a normal blockchain. Like, for a start, not every node in the network has to have every block, which <laughs> fundamentally changes the scaling mechanics. So if you were to just try and, like, pile data into Bitcoin, it would be extraordinarily expensive because you're basically saying every single person that takes part in this network in the future forever should store a copy of this. Whereas we took this other approach that said, okay, well, not everyone has to store everything and everyone is rewarded proportionately to the amount that they do store. So I think it would be very difficult to sort of backport this new kind of consensus mechanism into existing blockchains. Mm -hmm. And similarly, you know, it, it like is a terrible platform on which to do smart contracts. This, this mechanism of consensus really just doesn't work for those kinds of things where you can't memoize the state quite small. Um, yeah, so at that point, we just call out to things like Ethereum. You know. And what was, what was kind of the impetus for you guys uh, starting this project? Yeah, we, we have you read 1984? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Winston, the main character, his job is to censor and um, delete records of history. Well, we wanted to make it so that that wasn't possible anymore. And in fact, recently... I think we just had a, you know, the phrase zero to one. Well, I think we just reached out one moment, which was, um, yeah, there was an article put out in uh, Russian propaganda or yeah, English uh, language Russian propaganda outlet called Sputnik um, that was remarkably pro-Ukrainian about a recent military incident. And someone snapped a copy of this and put it into this archive, well, on the Arweed. Um, yeah, and then the... We don't know whether it was the Russian government or whether it was just Sputnik working on their own, you know, uh, on their own steam. They deleted this copy and they censored wow. it and they replaced it with a copy that was much more pro-Russian. Uh, and <laughs> but, they, but now there's, you know, like 550 copies of this piece of information distributed globally across like 80 different countries. It's basically impossible to get rid of. Uh, and those people have an incentive to store it. So... Yeah, it's it's past the point where the Russian government could censor it, and that I think is, um, yeah, for us that was a real moment where we were like, wow, this is pretty much what we intended to achieve. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we were really excited about it. Yeah. Very cool idea. So, what kind of apps are you seeing? I mean, are people trying to build like the next Twitter or Wikipedia <laughs> on? Yeah, so, so we're actually working with a group called Everypedia, which was started by one of the Wikipedia founders um, to, sure enough, put the entire encyclopedia onto the block weave. Um, so that's definitely one application. But we're seeing people build all sorts of random and interesting things. Like someone built a sort of decentralized uh, Quora, except instead of having upvotes, you have tips. So if you like to post, you just tip it the quantity um, that you thought it was worth. And then there's like an built-in economic incentive for people to write good quality answers and also it builds up this sort of um, permanent archive of knowledge while you go so it's really interesting we're, what we found is that we had all these ideas for what people were going to use the network to build and pretty much all of them were wrong instead they just built uh, way more creative and imaginative things than we'd ever really um, expected so that's really exciting to see very cool 
yeah, I, I do recall other projects trying to kind of attempt to do the same thing. Um, don't know the forget the names off the top of my head. Was Feathercoin one of them, or I, I remember one of the early. Um, so I think there was this project called Alexandria Coin or something like this. Um, that we actually found quite a while after we started Arweave. But as far as I'm aware, they, they literally just had a blockchain that they were putting data into, which unfortunately doesn't really have very good scaling mechanics. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, it's exactly the same kind of idea for what they were going for. So we, we're, we're very aligned on that, certainly. Very cool. So do you, do you see um, Monero and, and your community working together in any way in the future beyond... Uh, sharing the technology of random x <laughs> well we're certainly happy to i mean we'll have to see where it goes to i guess I, we've certainly seen quite a few people from the monero community join us on our discord development channel which is where you know all the all the builders in the community hang out um yeah and we're just happy to work together happy to talk to people very cool howard you got any uh, any other questions for uh, sam here oh yeah, not right now thanks <laughs> How about Sean? <laughs> Is he still around? <laughs> All right, guys. I think uh, I think we covered it pretty well. I don't know. Do you have any other uh, things you want to talk about regarding RandomX? No, I think I'm good at least. I mean, I, I'm excited to hear how that report comes out. Um, yeah, me too. Yes, yeah, so you, th you think the community will be uh, will be learning about this as, as soon as tomorrow, getting some insight? Uh, well, we'll we'll see it for the first time tomorrow. Uh, if there's any edits that need to happen to it or whatever, then you know it could be a couple of days. Okay. Uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, I'm sorry there was some coordination problems in the beginning, some internet issues. But, uh, oh, hang on. Thanks, I everybody. See, I see a question on the chat. Oh, okay. Let's oh. Check it out. <laughs> Do you see it? Oh, how how does Arweave incentivize serving da serving data? Oh. Is that what <laughs> I can't see this chat. Uh, but it's an interesting question. The answer is we have something um, that's very similar to optimistic tit for tat, which is an algorithm from uh, BitTorrent originally. The idea is that really basically like if you give me data, I'll give you data. And then very occasionally, we'll just randomly give data to people and see what happens. And the equilibrium when you do this, it just tends towards everybody sharing data all the time. So we have a pretty similar mechanism. Um, but on top of this, we also distribute new blocks and new transactions according to the rankings that one gets in this game. And this gives a sort of extra incentive which ties it back to the um, yeah, the mining incentives in the system. So in order to be a good miner, you also have to be good at this uh, data distribution mechanism. Cool. Need, mo need money. Are you satisfied with that, uh, with that answer? <laughs> <laughs> he, thinks it, he thinks it may be gameable is his uh, response to that. <laughs> okay. I mean, it, yeah, BitTorrent used a very similar system, and that at one point was carrying, I think, 30% of the internet's traffic. Um, so yeah, that, that's certainly a good game you could win if you have some spare time and you think you can do it. <laughs> All right, well, we'll uh, keep an eye on the project. It certainly sounds interesting. Thank you for uh, the contribution to the Monero community. 
Uh, no problem. Thanks, thanks for designing Random X. We're really super excited to be working with it. Thank you, Howard. Um, who? I think we should kind of give a, a shout out. So, who who was everybody else kind of involved in Random X? Uh, Trevador. What what are the Howard? What are Trevador, the names? Yeah. Trevador and S. Chernick. Uh, I don't know if they've published their full names or anything, so I'll just leave it at their handles like that. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, excited to see the next stage in Random X and uh, looking forward to seeing it eventually on, uh, on the mainnet here of, of Venera, hopefully come fall time. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, guys. Have a good cool. one. All right. All right. Take it easy. Bye.